Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is! Adam Scott! A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going Inside the Ropes. G'day everybody, welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode 16, another huge week in the great game of golf and another huge week to come and heaps of stuff to plough our way through, Travis Smythe about to join us, uh, the winner of the Northern Territory PGA Championship, but before that I say hello to Mark Hayes, I always do, hello Hazy. Hello Murray, you've got me giggling already and I don't want to be seen to be a heavy breather Mark too, so I better, I better get it under control. <laughs> We've had some uh, we've had some comments on our various Facebook and social media outlets. Hello, Clayton. Andy, good to see That's you, Mike Clayton. Of course, uh, that the, the that means that ask us anything, Mark Two is going to be part of this podcast. Now, there's a lot of stuff that has come across our desk that people want to speak to you about, and I think Hazy and I have probably got a couple of bits and pieces to throw our way at you as well, Clayton. So hopefully you're ready for this. I am. There are a few lists here and. Lovely. New, new top 100 in the world list came out today, interestingly. Oh, I'm interested in oh. talking to you about golf course yeah. rankings. Yeah, it came out today, yeah. Right, we'll have a chat about all of that. But we've got a man who needs to, um, has been a very uh, gracious with his time here on Inside the Ropes and has been good enough to join us at pretty short notice. He won uh, at the Palmerston Golf Club last week. In fact, he bolted in as an amateur, wins the Northern Territory PGA Championship, a really important tournament on the... Um, on the uh, landscape of Australian golf as we try and develop golf in that area of Australia. Travis Smythe joins us on Inside the Ropes, having bowled in by six. Travis, thanks for joining us, and congratulations, mate. Yes, hello, guys. Thank you so much. It's uh, been an exciting few days, and it's all sort of soaking in, and I'm loving every minute of it. Feet touch the ground yet? Is it is it one of those mo- like early moments, one of those moments early in your career where it's just taking a little bit of time for it all to sink in? Yeah, a little bit. I was, um, I didn't really get to celebrate it all really on Sunday night. So once I got back to Sydney, I kind of went out to dinner the other night and had a had a little bit of a night with some friends. So that's when it kind of all sort of soaked in and until I kind of realised what the actual win would do for me. It's uh, it's, it's actually getting better and better. So, so Trevor. Trav, one of the things it's done for you um, is you know, it's hot off the hot off the presses, really. Um, it's taken you up inside the top 15 in the world amateur golf rankings. It's also with the uh, the achievement that you've you've performed in Darwin. It's taken you up into the tier one uh, benchmark athlete category in golf Australia, which means you're alone in that division and and a phenomenal achievement. Earn extra funding uh, to make it to tournaments and and the prestige that comes with that. That's a great achievement for you. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, the help that I'll, I'll receive now from Golf Australia definitely. Is, uh, is a massive relief not only on like me but especially my parents. You know, being an amateur golfer, we're not we're not playing for prize money and it, it is expensive. Um, but but yeah, like it's it's going to be amazing. It's just a perfect time to really start putting some results on the board. You know, transitioning from amateur to pro and it's uh, yeah, I'm just kind of lost for words a little bit to be honest. 
You've never lost for words, mate. I've never heard that in my life. <laughs> like, it's just so good. Like, it's, it's all just happened so fast. And, uh, you know, I'm just focused on trying to play golf. And now all this other stuff's happening. It's, um, well, mate, you say it's happened so fast. It's a really good segue to what I was going to ask you because you're 22 now. Um, you haven't rushed it. You, you know, there's a lot of examples of, of kids who get stars in their eyes, 16, 17, 18, uh, even some of your mates uh, who have rushed into the pro ranks. Um, yeah. it, you know, you've 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 bided your time here. You've you've uh, you've progressed yeah. through. You must be happy with that decision now. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like this time last year, I was tossing up whether I was going to try and turn pro and just work my way through tour schools and or stay amateur for another year and basically I felt like my game is good enough and I should be you know ranked where I am now but I just wasn't this time last year so I kind of just trusted the process a little bit and, and because the amateur system is a two year rolling period I thought you know I'll have one more year and try and have two great years in my amateur system to for me to have the lowest uh, world ranking possible for me and it turned out to be awesome, you know, playing well at USAM and now winning this and, and now cross, cracking the top 15, it's, it's great. So, Trav, Clates here. Um, what exemptions do you get from tour schools and stuff for winning an Australian tour event? Do you get any exemptions uh, in, in Japan or Europe into, through different stages there, do you know? Uh, I'm not too sure about that, but, like, right now my priority is uh, European tour school um, and I I don't think I get to get exempt to second stage because I've kind of already entered and where I was at the cutoff date, I just had to get, I had to start from first stage. Okay. Um, but, you know, that's no problem. Like, I'm, I'm going to go do that. And then in, in between first and second stage is, is the Asia Pacific Amateur, which I really want to try and win. So it's a best case scenario. I can win that and hold off turning pro for another six months until Augusta. And then if not, try and get my card in Europe and, and go down that route. So can you, can you, if you play the Asian amateur and won that, can, would you then go to the final of the European Tour School? You you wouldn't do that. No, uh, uh, I probably just, yeah, I, I just come straight home. There's no there's no need. Um, because you know, obviously staying amateur and you you play all the the pro events that come from that, and then obviously tee up in the Masters and go from there. It's, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it'd be fair, be pretty, <laughs> fair to say that Asian amateur's been the one that's been pricking your interest for a long time now, Trav, wouldn't it? Big time, yeah. I've, I've played it two times now and it's just such a world-class event and just seeing from, you know, what Madaka, Anthony Madaka got from it and Curtis Lark, it's, it's definitely on the, the list of things to win for sure. You know, it's a dream of everyone to play the Masters and I feel like the Asian Pacific Amateurs is our, our best shot at it and, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So just getting back to what you did, uh, you know, in the NT um, PJ Championship, you, you shoot that 64 in the opening round, Trav, and there's a, a lot of guys in this field who have played a lot of golf, a, you know, a lot of hard and sort of pros and a lot of, you know, other guys at various stages of their yep. careers. You hold them at bay, you know, for the next three rounds pretty comfortably. And as we said at the outset, you win by six. As you've yep. kind of reviewed in your own mind, um, you know, how it played out and what you did and what you maybe learned about yourself, do you take much away from the fact that you you got out in the opening round and then you just never really took your foot off the throat of the tournament thereafter? Yeah, it was... The way you, that you, you look at it, you're like, you know, you must have been feeling pressure, all this sort of things, like, every, every single night. Yeah, like, when I'm away from the golf course, I feel like that's when all the pressure sort of builds up and your mind goes a little bit crazy, but 
I felt like all week when I was out on, on the course, you know, me being an amateur, I'm not playing for money. I've only I've basically got nothing to lose. I just went out there and, and played golf. And the mentality I always try and take into every single event is, you know, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. There's a golf ball, there's a fairway, there's a hole, and, and just do the best you can for every single shot. And, and you can count all the strikes up at the end, and it is what it is. Just give it your best, best, best crack. And that's what I did all week. And I, I didn't feel pressure at all once, really, like, I felt more nervous for the first time of the week doing my victory speech than I did going up 18. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, it was, I don't know. It, just, it almost felt like it was too easy. So I was kind of more expecting, you know, my first professional win. I'm going to have to, you know, close the thing out and birdie two of the last four or something like that and, and take it from someone. But, you know, fortunately for me, this well, last week, it, it just was everything was going for me and, if I could win like that every week, I'd be the less stressed player out there for sure, put it that way. <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> What's it like, though, Trev, when you sit back and you, when you have had time to analyse it? And you have beaten a, a really quality field there. I mean, it's you know it's a high-paying Tier 2 event. It's uh, it's one that attracts them, and I, I know they would love to go up to Darwin and experience everything. So it, w- it was a field that wasn't short of talent. Yeah, that just makes it that much more better and you know, makes you feel better, Yeah, obviously, about yourself, but... Guys like James Nitties and Aaron Price and, uh, and Jack Felton. There's there so many. Jimmy Papadatis. There's so many good players. Um, it just gives you that little bit more confidence, that little bit more of an edge, you know, going into the next event. And when I'm in that position again, I can say that I've been here and I've done it. I'll be, I'll be better for it, that's for sure. So Dean Lawson's pocketed the check there for, uh, for, for you being gracious enough to stay amateur. Um, <laughs> aside from that, you know, obviously, you'd like the twenty-two or twenty-three thousand dollars, whatever it was, that would have jumped in. However, what would you say to people who are seventeen, eighteen, got the world at their feet, stars in their eyes? Do you stay amateur? Do you go pro? Why? Why would you stay amateur? Uh, just the, the experience that comes from being like an elite amateur. You could say, I feel like he's trending these days. Like. All the top elite amateurs, it's kind of hard to explain. I don't know. It's just, you get these opportunities to play in pro events and you play, you, can, you get exempt into, you know, final stage of US Open, like major qualifiers, and you can play US amateurs. You, get, you basically can plan your whole schedule um, being an elite amateur. You can get into whatever you want. Um, and, and that in itself is a, a thing that you need to do well when you're on tour, I feel like. So it's definitely a learning curve, not just about the golf, but like, the whole travel and organisation of everything, having that schedule definitely helps the transition to turning pro. Like, once you're pro, all it is is a title, and, you know, you're still travelling, competing against world-class players. But it just shapes you to be more of a professional, I feel like, um, staying amateur a little bit longer. Um, and, and, and the quality around the world in these top amateur events is not almost as good, but, like, they're... You know, they're world-class players that are going to be playing on the PGA Tour in a number of years or the European Tour. So it's not like you're playing in fields that aren't up to standard. So it's just all a timing thing as well, you know, because then you get these outliers like Ryan Ruffles and Jordan Spieth that turn pro young and they make the most of their, those opportunities. So it just depends who you are. And But but for me, it was an amazing decision to stay under a little longer because I wasn't the greatest of amateurs when I was 18, 19. But whereas now... I kind of am who I am. So it just, it's all timing. You just got to time it right. I feel like turning pros, like the worst mistake a lot of people can do is to turn pro early. And you're out in a, a field of world-class players and if you get beaten up and you get put down, that, that's a hard way to start your pro career. 
It's a really good answer. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> but and, yeah. and, and to that, I mean, you are coming off great form, not only in the Australian pro ranks, but yep. you're coming off a really excellent finish in the United States Amateur Championship, the biggest amateur event in the world. Uh, top eight there, and you had your chances. I know you were a bit disappointed not to take it a step or two further, but looking yep. looking back, that's another great achievement too. Yeah, it was amazing. Like I felt like that week was the was the best I've ever felt with my game, um, and I just happened to slip up a little bit on the last nine holes, and uh, Doc Redman, the, the eventual winner, ended up beating me on the last hole. And uh, I, was, I was very bummed, but I knew good things were around the corner just because I felt so confident in my game. And then I come back to, to Australia, regroup for a couple of weeks and go to Darwin. And it was, yeah, just everything went for me. Everything was just going so well. And, and, and I got the win. So definitely the lead up, the great performance at USAM helped me a lot going into Darwin for sure. Trav, there's been a lot of, there's been a dearth, let's be honest about this, there's been a dearth of talent out of New South Wales for a long time. But right now, you guys are in the middle of an unbelievable wave. Uh, you know, there's five or six really quality players coming through. I, you know, a couple of your really good mates, uh, you know, Harrison Endicott's been in the top 10 or so in the world. Um, you, you know, Dylan Perry's had an unbelievable season this year in the amateur ranks. Um, there's yep. a ha- handful of other guys too, mate. You know who they are. But under Dean yep. Kinney and a few of the others in Golf New South Wales High Performance Program, things have really turned the corner, haven't they? Oh, big time. Like, he is the best mentor coach that any of us could ever dream of. Like, he's just he's just so switched on in all areas of everything. And he's, he's definitely took us under the wing the appropriate way and, and shaped us to the people we are. And he's created that team environment, which I think is very, very important being an individual, individual sport. Um, so I, I give him so much credit for any success that I, that I make. He's definitely a massive impact as part of my team for sure. So, and like the help from, from Golf New South Wales and everyone is, I, I wouldn't be where I am without him. It's been amazing. So just before we let you go, what, what, what where next? Like the immediate kind of you know two or three or four weeks in front of you now, mate. What does it what does it look like? Yeah, so Golf Australia are flying the whole Australian team out to New Zealand tomorrow, actually, to, to Wellington to play the course in preparation for the Asian Amateur. So I'll do that over the weekend, but then come back for a couple of weeks, and then I'll fly out on, like, 25th to London, get ready for first stage of European Tour School that happens um, in the first week of October, try and advance, do the best I can to advance there, and then come back, Asian Am, try and win that, and then life's all good. Uh, if not, then I'll, hopefully I'm into second stage and I'll um, and go from there. So that, that's all planned and organised for now. And then after um, European Tour School is done, I'll head up in the Aussie Open. It's kind of good that I've had that win now because I can either get an invite as an amateur or I can officially make that my first, uh, first event as a professional. So that's exciting and, and same as Aussie PGA. So, um, whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to do the best I can to hit that little white golf ball in the hole, and I know there's good things around the corner, so it's, uh, it's exciting. You're making easy segues for me here, Trav. This is, an, uh, this is brilliant from you, because I, I remember asking you about why, you know, what turned the corner for you, like what made you take that extra step and work harder and kick it to that next level, and you and you basically said your experience at the Australian Open last year and the crowds. Can you, can you just, you know, walk uh, us through that? That was amazing last year. I, I qualified um, at Carnarvon on the Monday 
straight away after the New South Wales Open, um, got out to the Australian Open, I was physically pretty run down from a whole bunch of events and managed to, to play some great golf, made the cart, worked my way inside the top 30 um, and just I just took so much from it because I felt like, like I played good golf, don't get me wrong, but I didn't feel like I did anything special and I kind of uh, beat like a, a lot of good players that kind of peaked for that Australian Open and it just gave me a little bit of a boost from that and just some of the memories I, I remember from it and having the crowds and just how exciting that style of golf is that we don't really get in amateur golf with the crowds and stuff. It's just something that I just want to be a part of, and I'm so hungry to just keep trying to play events of that caliber week in, week out. Um, so the Australian Open definitely got things rolling for sure. All right, mate, i got one last one for you. I yep. I am the head of a major international company. I want to sponsor Travis Smythe for a million dollars a season for the next 10 years. Me up. But Travis, I need you to cut off your man bun. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no de- there's no deal. What happens? I'd, uh, I'd probably flick you, to be honest. <laughs> ah, there you go. That is great. <laughs> I, need, I, need, I need to trust myself to earn more than a million dollars, so hopefully I can just say uh, I'm not going to need it and I'll keep the man bun and, and everything will be good. <laughs> and, and be who you are, mate. Do it your way. Oh, it's a great answer. It's a great answer. <laughs> Uh, you're uh, an mate, mate, anybody who's listening to this is going to be very, very keen the next time they're in an Australian tournament or a tournament anywhere in the world that you're teeing it up in, I reckon, to stand behind the ropes and um, have a little bit of a look at your play, your golf, mate. It's been a joy having you on the show. There's a lot for you to look forward to and um, a lot for us to look forward to watching you do it. Thanks for joining us on the show. Oh, uh, thank you so much, guys. It's been fun. Travis okay. Smythe, the winner of the Northern Territory PGA Championship with it all in front of us, all in front of him joining us on Inside the Ropes. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. Hi, it's Stuart Appleby here with October coming up. It's time to share the golf bug with a friend. Hopefully you uh, enjoyed listening to Travis Smythe as much as we did. You've been telling me for a while, Hazy, that this kid's a bit of a natural. And uh, listening to him just you know, talk about where he's at and what lies in front of him. He's, uh, you could listen to him talk about it for a while, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, a natural on the course. Well, he works hard at it, but within reason, he's a natural. Um, but he's a natural off the course. Mm. He just, he's one of those guys that if he gets up and running in the next few years, people will flock to him. He's, he's got a magnetic personality. He's a big, strapping, blonde, tall guy. Um, brilliant speaker, as you can hear. And I just think that, you know, he's, he's got that appeal that really could help lift not only his game, but golf to another level. Do you like the way he's going about it, Clay? The thing I don't get is I would not – I would. this will sound crazy. If I had a chance to get a European Tour card, I would go to the final. And if I got it, I would pass up playing the Masters and playing Europe. Would you? Masters one week, Europe's a whole career. It's a, I, would not, I would not miss a chance to play Europe for a season over having a game at the US Masters. You're serious? It's not that. If you're, if you're a good enough player, you'll get back in it sometime again. If you're not, then it didn't. It was, I mean, what, if, what if this is your one chair? What if this is your one lick of the ice cream? You know, your only opportunity? 
and you're going to give up a chance. If he got through the three stages in Europe, there's no way he would give that up to go and play in the Masters. I wouldn't anyway. What would you do, Hazy? Oh, I'm, I'm stunned to hear Clay say that. I, I mean, it, may, it makes sense. but It I, does make sense. I think these guys grow up seeing so much Augusta National thrust down their throats for so long. You know, it's the pinnacle of golf. It's this and that and the other. And as much as Trav's got his head screwed on right and wants to go to Europe in the medium term, I just think it's going to be too big an, an uh, too big an offer. Yeah, it's just yeah. The, the cherry's right there, Clayton. He can almost yeah, but, lick it. You know, it's, the chances are you miss the cut if the – History of amateurs playing the Masters. Where you're probably going to go there and play 36 holes. Although Curtis played well this year, made the cut. And once it's over, it's over. And what happens then? No, I, I take your point. I just think that <clears throat> I mean, the, you know, I think you can just if if you had a chance to play a whole season in Europe, which is tough. To, it's tough to get through all three stages, and you know there'll be certain tournaments you won't get into. You won't get into those things in the Middle East, probably. But if, if you by, if by the end of next year you could be exempt in Europe, fully exempt in Europe, make the top 110 there and. I would no way I would pass that up to go and play in the Masters. No chance. He's clearly got. He's clearly appreciating um, what's in front of him as an amateur. The, the things that amateur golf provide yeah. him, present to him, as opposed to just jumping in to the pro ranks straight away and just consigning yourself to four round stroke events pretty much for the rest of your yeah. life. Have, in terms of getting exposure and experience and the and all of that stuff that comes from playing more match play golf than stroke golf before you turn pro. Is there any kind of advantage in that, Clates, that, that can hold you in good stead down the track? Well, the advantage is that, <coughs> excuse me, if you, I mean, Curtis, I think, I don't know the numbers, but I think he signed a pretty nice deal with Callaway. So the advantage of being one of the best numbers in the world is when you turn pro, you're liable to sign a contract with a company for a lot of money. Yeah. So that kind of funds the first three years of your of your development as a player. But, Again, if it goes, if you got through the European Tour School, and you're a decent player, and obviously he's a better than decent player, you can fund you can fund your own career by making money. You know, there's way enough money out there to make enough money to fund yourself with prize money. Yeah, you know, the thing that I loved about <laughs> listening to him, Hazy, and mm. is the fact that he's he loves being part of a team. He loves representing Australia. All of that stuff's really important to him. And we've seen, you know, we've seen mm. other young. You know, phenomenally gifted Australian players in recent times. One in particular, Ryan Ruffles, has decided to bypass a whole lot of amateur golf to jump into the deep end pro ranks-wise. He misses all that. There's four or five years mm. of Ruffles's golf development and growth phase that he'll never get to experience. Now, who knows what that's going to look like in yeah. 20 years' time, but that's a great thing that the kid's aware of, I reckon. Yeah, Ryan's... Um He's made his choices. He had it all laid out in front of him. So, you know, you can't begrudge him. I'm that. not knocking him. I'm not, no, no, no. No, and, and I'm not praising it or knocking yeah. it either way. Yeah. I'm, but he, he knew what he was doing. Um, Travis, as Ryan did with playing for Victoria, Travis loves playing for New South Wales. You should see the spark in his eye when he gets to that interstate series. It's it's magic. And, he, you know, he's watched good mates. He's good mates with Curtis Luck. He's watched his New South Wales buddies who are uh, Harrison Endicott and Cam Davis win the Eisenhower Trophy last year. You know, he's he's seen that, what the amateur team game can do. Uh, he knows it firsthand. He enjoys traveling with his mates. He's You know, he's mm. one of those guys who went to the national camp in Houston. He's been in the States traveling with a bunch of guys, Dylan Perry, et cetera, for, for months now. Um He's he's right on board with the team thing, and you know when he when you hear him talk about his high performance crew at Golf New South Wales, he gets really pumped up. 
He, he loves it, absolutely loves it, and he loves pushing himself, but also the next person along. You know, there's some girls in the New South Wales state team, much younger than he is, who look up to him because of the way he does it. And I think he, I think he appreciates that. It's good in it. Yeah, and the, <clears throat> excuse me, there is no right or wrong answer to the Augusta European Tour thing. And it's, um, I remember Jeff Ogilvy telling me he said the most fun I ever had playing golf. This was after he won the US Open, was playing in the interstate t- series. Yeah, right. And, and playing yeah. pentagon golf, it was. You know, it's great fun and mm. not something to just blow off and say, well, it's not important or it's no fun or it's, you know, it's lots of fun playing the Interstate Series. And- I think the bottom line is what Clayton said before. He has the talent and there are others too. They have the talent to be able to get back to it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, some, some people, you, you couldn't say that, but I do think he is in a position talent-wise and mentality-wise that he will get back to it. Even if he took the European option, he'll get to the Masters and vice versa for that matter. Mm. He could take the Masters and get back to Europe, but... I think it's a really smart thing that he has Europe on his mind as well, um, and not just making it North American specific and North American centric. That you know, that's the only way I can get there. And you could turn pro the week after the Masters, of course, and and have a decent manager who could get you seven starts in Europe. Yeah, <clears throat> and if you played well, then you make your money, and you, you you know, it's much easier to make your money in Europe on in seven starts. That is in America. Yeah, yeah. Just one before we get off um, and back onto the big picture, like the bigger picture stuff that's going on around the world. I just want to mention Rick Coolarts, who who finished tied six in in Northern Territory up in Allison. Understand, there's you know bigger finishes and bigger checks and bigger deals around the place, but there's sort of something about the Coolarts story sitting alongside Travis Smythe wings and amateur. It's a bit not cautionary or anything, but. I remember watching Coolatz win that New South Wales Open as an amateur back in about 2007, yeah. <laughs> six or seven, something like that. We shot. <clears throat> you over there. What are you? What are you? I've got something in my throat. Yeah, I tell you, this, is, this is um, this giving is great um, ease of mind to the, the heavy breather who occasionally sits next over, to me. People all over the world <laughs> listening to this podcast are, are reaching for uh, a butter menthol. Just <laughs> listening that is to my you voice. Yes. Um, <laughs> God, I mean, voice is Rick, killing me. Rick Colax was famous for shooting 64 when he was 14 at the Vines. And what is he, 30 now? Yeah, 30, 30 yep, yeah. yep, yep. And Michael Simmon, I mean, Oliver Goss, and there's been, there's been a list as long as your arm of really good amateur players who, where are they now? I so, mean, Andrew Buckle, I mean, mm. boy, it's as long as you I mean, it's so easy to get lost out on that tour now. So he wins he <laughs> wins that New South Wales Open as an amateur. I'll get in front of you now, in 2006. Yeah. He then wins twice as a pro. Like, he actually didn't, it just didn't end there. He goes and wins the Brunei Open in 2008. He beats Kiridek Appy Barnrat uh, in the Royal Selangor Masters in 2009. So he goes on, and in his early stages as a pro, he gets some, some wins on the board to stick some money in the bank and gets himself belief. Now, I, I haven't spoken to Rick for a long time, but I get the sense that he's. he's Got a bit lost with his game somewhere along the line, and the last eighteen months he's really decided to maybe work, get back some sort of work ethic, and try and get back to where he was. I'm only guessing because I'm yeah. seeing his name bob up in more sort of events around Australia than we've seen him play in recent times. But there's a lot of these stories in golf that you know he was. Had we been doing this show ten years ago, we would have been talking to Rick Cool. I was going, "Oh, mate, it's all in front of you. Yeah. Go yeah. your hardest. We can't wait to see what you're going to do." And you know, as we've just done with Travis Smythe and. It's it's a brutal game like that golf. Yeah, Wayne Grady went to apply to the Queensland PGA, which was the rule then. You could apply to the state PGA to turn pro. If they thought you were good enough, you could turn pro. And they, Colin Bishop and a Peter Headland and a whole bunch of guys went through that system. And Grades turned up at the meeting and they said, we don't think you're good enough. 
And two months later, he won the Westlake's Classic. But, you know, Grades was – no one thought Grades was particularly good. Uh, I knew he was because I'd played with him since he was a kid. I knew how uh, – but I knew how hard he worked. Uh, you know, you look at how hard guys like Peter Senior and Wayne Grady worked and Peter Fowler worked at golf. Who, who, I mean, no one thought Chook was any good. <laughs> right. And he's still one of the best players. And 50 years, 45 years later, he's still one of the – grinding away as hard as he ever did and he's still one of the best players on the, on the European Senior Tour. Sevy thought he was but, okay. Sevy thought he had the best short game in Europe, even better than mine. But um, <laughs> the only man with a better short game than me in Europe is Peter Fowler, which is a pretty big rap. That's a massive rap. Um, That's, that was Sevy, not Clay. No, that was Sevy. Have you seen anyone? <laughs> I should say this for Ask Us Anything, but I'll ask you now because we're on it and Ask Us Anything's coming mm. up soon. Have you, who was? Did you see any player through your era who did it just on natural talent alone without working their bum off? Did you see anyone who just kind of probably oh, yeah. Monty? Right. Monty didn't. I mean, at some point, everyone's worked hard. At some oh, point, yeah. everyone's worked hard. Monty never hit a practice. You barely saw him hit a practice ball. And I think Ian Wisdom worked hard and, and to- he, he toiled in Europe, eating baked beans out of the back of a caravan for three or four years. I but put a year on. <laughs> but, um, I mean, Woozy had an incredible talent. But, but yeah, Woozy, I mean, no, everyone worked hard. They all worked hard. They all hard, worked right? hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no yeah. one's yeah. ever made who hasn't. I mean, there's a list as long as your arm of the greatest myth of golf. Well, life is that if you work hard, you'll be successful. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah. lots of people have worked hard and you've never heard of them. That's true. That's <laughs> very true. But everyone who's been successful has worked hard. Some, I mean, Peter Fowler worked harder than Colin Montgomery, but they had completely different games. I mean, Peter Fowler had to work harder than Monty. Monty just put the ball on the ground and hit it purely every day. Mm. So why practice? You didn't need to practice. Peter Thompson was the same. And Woozy was the same. Yet Fowler was an absolute grinder and he worked he worked as hard as anyone. And does it come to pass that had Montgomery had Feldo's work ethic, he would have won 10 majors? It doesn't come to pass, does it? Like, it just doesn't work that no, way. Not by default. No, it doesn't work that way. Well, and there's that, you know, the John Daly story, walking out of the gym. No, Tiger Woods walking out of the gym, like sweating like a pig and looking completely exhausted from <laughs> pumping weights. And John Daly walked past and says, I can't believe you do all that stuff, Tiger. He said, if I had your talent, John, I wouldn't have to. <laughs> there you go. You know, so, I mean, Tiger and... I mean, you read Hankani's book on Tiger. Yeah. It's an insight into how hard he worked. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if – I mean, I think some kids get it, but I think some of them don't understand how hard the best players work. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. G'day, it's Nick O'Hearn here. Whenever I get the chance, I catch up with Inside the Rope to follow up on all the latest golf, and I urge you all do the same. It's a great show. So it's uh, approaching kind of midday on Thursdays. We sit down to do um, this edition of Inside the Ropes, and a couple of hours ago, Hazy, um, the captain's picks were made for the upcoming President's Cup, which we're all excited about. I mean, it's a really, really big deal, mm. you know, for us, and it's a strong contingent, you know, that Australia's got in the President's Cup team. Are we happy? I mean, 
is it's a bit like the All Australian team in footy. It's hard to argue the merits is it not of the two blokes that get added to the squad because by the virtue of the fact that they're in the running, they're good players. You know, you know. Yeah, of. yeah. I, I personally get really excited about this. We watched the Solheim Cup. We've talked about that at, at length over the last few weeks, and more uh, in more relevant, I suppose, in this instance is the Ryder Cup. And we're not involved, obviously. Right. And you just, I, I get incredibly jealous that we're not part of it. So this is always important, I think, to Australian golf. Even if we don't see our flag and colours, we're, you know, we're, we're part of it, and we've been an integral part of it. So this is the one. Uh, to your question, I think there's a couple of selections here that are absolute givens. So do we name them now, Andy? Yeah, go ahead, yeah, please. So I mean, so this morning, um, Steve Stricker has named. Um, Charlie Hoffman. Charlie Hoffman, who's an absolute no-brainer to get a pick. He was in for most of Monday as they teetered and totted on the on the Boston yeah. TPC course. So it was no-brainer that he got in. But he's also picked Phil Mickelson, and I reckon there'll be a couple of American guys in the middle. For all Phil's you know, value to the team and his history with the involvement of the President's Cup, Clates, he's probably a little bit lucky to get in here, isn't he? Well, it's not a long-term... It's kind of, I mean, the Ryder Cup really is the big deal. and It was a chance to blood perhaps a young player for that. But you know it's a TV deal and the tour and the event. Of course, you know, is, yeah. I mean you want Mickelson there because he's the scene with that kid the so other day. Great vision. Apart from, the, awesome. apart from the fact that someone pointed out he actually technically broke a rule because you're not allowed to ask for advice from anyone but your caddy. <laughs> For Those who didn't see it, Mickelson asked this about a five-year-old kid whether he should take on a three-wood over the water at Boston. And he said, the "Kid said if I could fly a three-wood two sixty, I'd be going for it." <laughs> It was brilliant. It was, it was fantastic. Really good yeah, it was stuff. Great. And that's why they, that is why they love him. Yeah, oh, they definitely love him. I just think it, yeah. it's, you know, he, he, look, he's finished up the season strongly. I just, I'm just not sure if I was Brian Harmon that I'd be thr- th- super thrilled that I didn't get in before, in front of Phil Mickelson. But Brian Harmon's the only guy who's upset at that pick. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So who are you picking the team for? Crowds or? You're picking the team. No, no, well, I assume he's picking in the team he thinks is going to win. And Mickelson's got a pretty decent record in the President's Cup. Yeah, very decent record. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't like to play, but, play Brian Harmon. He's a yeah. he's a rock-solid match player, yeah. I reckon. But, it, you know, Mickelson's 46. Is he going to make the Ryder Cup at 47? And the, Is he going to play at Royal Melbourne? In? You could argue that the Ryder Cup doesn't need Phil Mickelson maybe as much as the President's yeah. Cup does. Yeah. You could you argue and, that. And, I think, too, you know? and that, you know, if someone said to me, do you want to watch Phil Mickelson at Royal Melbourne in 2019? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. happily watch him. Don't get me wrong, no, I'd no, happily no. watch him. But I'd so, just, just add another one. Chilgo, another one. You've just had a massive crack at on this podcast yeah. on the way through. I need to put another notch on the wall so here. We won't get Phil Mickelson on the show now after you've just torched him. Well, I'll tell you who I won't get on the show is Anna Barnlahiri, who was the second of uh, Nick Price's selections. Mm. He's picked Emiliano Grio, which is a, a no-brainer again. He's shown good form at late, late in the season. He was number 11 on the list. But he's gone down to number 16 with Anna Barnlahiri. Maybe it's because I haven't quite forgiven Annabelle Lahiri for missing a six-inch putt that would have given the President's Cup half a chance so for the international team in who, Seoul. Who did he pass over to get to Lahiri? Lee Hao Tong was one, presumably? Uh, he, he passed over Lee Hao Tong. He passed over Hideto Tanahara. He passed over Yuta Akeda. Uh, and more importantly, I think for me, was Ben Arn. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a good player, Ben I think Ben Arn's you know, got that X factor. And, and look... This my thoughts with the President's Cup teams, all 12 of them, Andy, is clearly on paper the U.S. is going to smoke us. There's no doubt about well, that. I don't agree with that at all. No, 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 on, yeah. on paper. No, I don't, I don't see that either. Yeah. Well, hang on, yeah. hang on. Yeah. Just let me, let me have my two bobs. Right 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 They've picked a team finally on the international front that's got the X factor. Hadwin can go low. Johnny Vegas can go low. Siwoo Kim's a freak show. 
Uh, Emiliano Negrillo is a birdie machine. These Brandon, guys at the, Brandon Grace can, as we've seen yeah, recently. Yeah, I, I think finally we have a team of, that's capable of mixing it on, oh, in a low-scoring situation. Yeah, well, I've read stuff where they've just written off the international team as having no chance to win. It's like, this is a pretty fair fight, I think. I'm not, I'm not doing that at all. I'm just saying yeah. on paper, when we're spotting them well over 100 rankings points in total, it, it doesn't add up. I mean, they'll, they'll say, oh, but you've got Spieth, you've got Johnson, you've got It's a strong, Fowley, American. It's a strong you know, American team. Yeah. And, and that's well, all true, but once you get out there... Fowler's pretty beatable, isn't he? They're all beatable. Yeah, I, yeah. I, Matsuyama could beat anyone. Yeah. Jason Day could beat anyone. Those four guys yeah. at the bottom of our order can beat anyone. We've seen Mark Leishman beat Spieth in President's Cup before. The South Africans could do anything. So I, I'm not... I don't rate us not a chance at all. Yeah, I think we're half a show. I think it's a good team. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, think on, it, I think it's a great on, team. I'm just, on, no, I we're just, not going to get anyone from the Australian from the International Presidents Cup team. Well, now I have been trying. I have been trying, Andy. I'll just put that on the record. But I, I just think the only selection that's of, of um, disturbing to me, and I know he's a great bloke. I understand he's a ripping bloke. Is Anabar Lahiri. Uh, and I'm not worried about that part. I've let that go. But Ben Arn is a really nice yeah, player from South player. Korea, and I think he's the one who can be feel a little I, bit aggrieved. I do know the vice captain, <laughs> Jeff Ogilvy, thought that Lahiri was terrific in the team room last year. Thought he was great. That so counts for plenty, right? That would count a lot yeah, for, for a yeah, lot, okay. and, and probably got him over the line in the end. Okay, uh, Nick. Let's hear from the ca- the two captains. Um, Nick Price, first of all, on what he uh, w- hopes his team will do differently this time around. Well, you know, I think what's happened in the past is that we've been pretty slow starters. Um, you know, Monday, as I say, is the first time we're all together in the team room, and it doesn't matter how much. communicating you do with the guys or how many phone calls or emails or text messages you send the guys it's all about how that team bonds in the team room on Monday and that's generally been a little slow I think that's uh, what I noticed the first time in in 13 at Muirfield 15 was a lot better Um, in fact Adam uh, Scott got up and spoke to the rookies and told them how important and how much it meant to him you know, all, I think the, the, the more experienced guys in the team really need to tell those rookies how much it is and, I, you know, how important it is. And I think that's what Phil has done, you know, so wonderfully for the Ryder Cup team members and also for, um, you know, the President's Cup team guys on the U.S. team. So that's, that's, that's a big deal for us is to try and get off to a better start than we have in previous years. Sort of goes to what you're saying about Ogilvy and Lahiri a little mm. bit, doesn't it? You know, trying to build that thing into a team of you know the sort of diaspora, the golfing diaspora that makes up the kind of international team. Yeah, you know? which probably makes it difficult for the Japanese guys he passed over. We play the Japanese tour, and no one knows them particularly well, and yeah. probably, their English is probably not that great. And you know, it probably counts against those guys in terms of getting a pick. That they're always going to have to play their way onto the team to get on it. Because I mean. Ishikawa is not a factor now, but he was good when he played, and, and and I think he was great as a part of the team. But you know, the Japanese guys who primarily play the Japanese tour, unless yeah. they make that top ten, they're never going to get a pick. Uh, Steve Stricker, uh, the US team, of course, talked about having Tiger as his assistant. Well, he's going to bring a lot. Uh, we saw that last year at the Ryder Cup, uh, and Tiger is so committed. Um, I'm starting to get texts from him every other day. I've talked to him on the phone a couple times. Uh, he's really, really excited to be a part of this team. A couple months ago, he told me that he wasn't quite sure he was going to be a part of this team just because he wasn't feeling good enough. Uh, now he's feeling better. Uh, he's excited to be a part of this team. These young guys look up to him. Uh, and when you see Tiger Woods committed to 
this team, uh, that only helps uh, the confidence and the, uh, the look in these younger guys' eyes when they see how excited Tiger Woods is just to be a part of this team. Uh, these guys rally behind that, and they're excited to be around him. Uh, and I, I can't wait to be with him, too. I mean, it's been a long time since uh, we've had him out on tour, and uh, this will be kind of his first step back, and uh, we're happy to have him, and, and he's looking forward to it as well. Well, we're all in awe of Tiger. Um, well, let's not buy into this American <laughs> propaganda. I really want to give it to these blokes at New Jersey, Clay. I don't know if you can sense that or not. Yeah, well, we it's all a- Oh, seriously, yeah, I mean that's bollocks. But that's what they do. This what America is, right? They sell this crap, and Americans <laughs> they lap it up, you know. And it's the rah rah BS that they go on with all the time. <laughs> yeah, we, we know that's what's Tiger bringing. Well, I mean, half the blokes will be looking at Tiger, and they'll be looking at the photos that got hacked into his phone, and they'll be thinking about that. They won't be thinking about a thing that he's got to say about how you make that little six footer on down the hill left to right on thirteen. They'll be going. Ooh. I hope Travis Smythe doesn't mind me bringing this up, but this morning while I was arranging him to come on the show, he sent me a little text grab. He was very excited about it. He looked at his new world ranking after his win. I and saw it was that. 710. Now Ty, he's got it in comparison in one photo with Tiger at 1130. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just want to say that the international team will be very excited if Travis Smythe walks into the club rooms at, uh, at, at uh, what is it? What's the name of this course in Jersey? Liberty National. Liberty National, thank yeah. you. If he walks, Travis Smythe walks in there, they'll be walking very, you know, up in the air. They'll be six foot eight. They'll be bulletproof if Travis Smythe comes in there. So that's all in front of us. Um, what was What is now behind us is the second leg of the FedEx um, Cup playoffs. Mark Leishman, I mean, we, we've got to have a chat about it. He's six under the front on the last day to almost blow the tournament mm. apart. And then five under on the back, just a horrible collapse. And he's sort of... Put out a tweet after it saying, you know, golf gives and it takes mm. and it kicks in the head and it punched me around a bit today, but, you know, thanks for everyone's support. I mean, that must be a brutal uh, realisation. I mean, I know he pockets about 500,000 yeah, at the end of it. 700 US. So she doesn't Bad luck, he's going with 700 <laughs> US to ease the pain. He'll ease the pain just a little. Softens the blow ever so slightly. Yeah. But Take his earnings to about $4 million this year. But it's not a bit... I mean, it is about that because he's a professional golfer. Yeah, but, for, but for Leishman now, it's about winning things, isn't it? Like, yeah. That's what it is for Leishman now. Yeah. Uh, is that going to be... I mean, he'll just move on. I mean, he's obviously playing really well. This is not going to dog no, him, you know. He'll but, just move on and... But how does he'd be that, fine. He'd be filthy, though, wouldn't you? I mean, well, he is filthy. I've never seen him make that tweet before. Like, it's the first yeah, time I reckon yeah. I've seen him engage like that. And he, he gets over things really well because he's got the best perspective of just yeah. about anyone on tour. Yeah. So that, that's not going to be an issue. But it's, it was also sort of nice to see him... Realise, admit it? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I, I think, it, you know, he coulda, woulda, shoulda in the 2015 Open Championship at St Andrews. Yeah. Um, he got a terrible eye in the playoff. He missed a putt short to win it on the 72nd. We all know the story. I think it was, was it Jim McKay who said he was the most, calling the most underrated player on tour? Yeah. Which is by far, I would say, the most underrated player on tour. Yeah. You know, and I think he's got that sort of um, perception about him because he hasn't won a lot. He's been super consistent for a long time. To get to number 23 now without having really stood your foot on a big one yeah, yeah, is, yeah. A, is a great achievement. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's I reckon it's starting to burn in him. I think so too. And just like we said with Scotty, like I've been banging on about this with you for ages, Andy, you've got to take the chances when they're there because you never know what's happened, going to happen in the future. Adam Scott 
example one. His own wife, example number two. He could not have been playing golf now. Mm. You've got to take these chances. Mm. I don't get why. why. Why are we inundated with articles on Bernard Tomic and Nick Kyrgios? And no one in the street could pick out Mark Leishman in a lineup. No one writes anything about him. Where he's just way ahead of those guys in terms of what he, it's just. How does tennis? Why is tennis such an important game when it's just because it's got a grand slam? It. Because we've got a grand slam yeah, in Melbourne, and that is the only reason. If we ever lost, you know, our grand slam hmm. rating, if we ever lost that tournament, Australia, hmm. you watch the ass fall out of Australian tennis. Yeah. Like it will just it will go down a massive black hole, and these two pillocks that you're talking about, they'll never be spoken about again. Yeah. And I mean, if you're imagine Channel Seven right trying to promote an Australian Open, which they'll do again off the back of Bernard Tomic and Nick Kyrgios, that's what it'll be. You know, like the, the you know the sell the hype they're going to you know beat up around these two blokes. Mm. So really. No one gives a tinker's cuss about. And you see Peter Hanscom, who loses five kilos batting in the Chandigarh heat. Um, no one, he could stand up in your porridge and most blokes yeah. wouldn't know him. Yeah. And like Mark Leishman could do the same thing. And they, they, these two clowns aren't fit to carry their bags. Well, I think we're not, we haven't we're not even comparing. got to ask us anything yet. This is an outstanding start. <laughs> we're not comparing apples with oranges with Kyrgios and Tomic. I mean, Kyrgios is a... Really good player. He's I mean, a good player, but he's... Really good player. He is, but he's... And, and, and might win a major. But I just... And I'm a tennis fan, but what amazes me is that golf gets... None of the coverage yeah. compared with the exorbitant amount of coverage two tennis players get. That's great. Yeah. Maybe we should get Leash to snap a few three irons. Maybe that's what he needs to do. Stop being such well, a decent player. Mind you, he yeah. could have hit the camera in the nuts the other day. We might have got <laughs> a bit shake. more... How was that? How was <laughs> that move? That was brilliant, wasn't it? Oh, that camera was just... That was the coolest move. Ever. That camera just lift the leg, ball stretch. That was unbelievable. Was great. So Leishman goes uh, on the FedEx Cup standings. Leishman goes from 20th going into 7th on the rankings. Jason Day just chipping away. I know you reckon he's playing like a blind man at the moment, Hazy, but he's 29 up to 28. So <laughs> he's coming. He's, he's coming. going okay, Jason Day. Um, can we just have a quick word about Justin Thomas? 2007, just in the calendar year of 2017, he's played 19 tournaments in 2017. Mm. He's won four. He's got a further... Top four, top tens. Uh, he's won, won the major. He's now top five in the world. Is that up to three or four in the world yep. the official world golf rankings? But the, what I wanted to talk to you two about, unless you got something you want to say about him as the just as a player, he misses the cut. He's missed the cut six times this year out of nineteen tournaments. Yep. He misses the cut twenty five percent of the time. He tees it up as a pro. And I just had a quick look at a couple of his contemporaries. So, so Thomas twenty five percent of the time missed cut as a pro. Spieth, 14.5%. Johnson, 16%. Matsuyama, 15%. John Rahm, in the early stages, 11.5% of the time he misses the cut. And it sort of goes a little bit to what Travis Smythe was saying before about just play it, don't worry about it, and you just play. Because if you play well enough and you don't care about just making mm. the cut, if you're going to miss, you just miss. Who cares? Because next week I'm going to go get him. Is that the kind of mentality that Justin Thomas is bringing to the game, do you reckon? It's all it's all or nothing, and who cares if you're not here on the weekend? Yeah, I mean, Tiger Woods, 0% for a long time. Yeah. What do you make, 140-something in a row? Which mm. is almost the most amazing statistic of his yeah. career. I think they just take the dry route and as hard as they can and wedge it on the green, and if you miss it, you miss it. Yeah, I, th- you know, I think that's probably an attitude that, lo- that lots of guys have. I mean, I know Scott Hen does that. Hen, I mean, most pros make 80% of their money in... Ten percent of the tournaments they play. Yeah, well, there you go. That, that, so, you know, sixty percent, sixty-three percent of stats are made up on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But no, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Twice. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, the, the consistency thing. I mean, Huggy wrote a story about Katrina Matthew who came out and finished 13th, 14th, and 7th, three weeks she played Australia and two in Asia. Next year she came out, she missed the cut, finished third somewhere, and then finished 40th. She made more money for a missed cut third and 40th than 13th, 14th, and 15th. Yeah. So what is consistency in mm. terms of if you're just talking about how much money you make? But Thomas looks – I mean, I've never seen him play, but it looks like he's terrific player. stands there and hits it as hard as he can, as far as he can, finds it, hits it on the green. And you're going to miss some cuts if you do that, if yeah. you're you know, prepared he, to go for everything, which shows how great Tiger was. Cause that, that was kind of how Tiger played, but he never missed a cut because he was such a great player. I couldn't agree with more than anything with what Clates just said. That's not even a sentence, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, uh, yep. it, And he's obviously a world-class short iron player and putter. Swings out of his boots. He weighs, you know... 70 kilos. Yeah, not even that. 70 maybe. kilos. He swings out of his boots every drive he hits it. And he, I think he's come to terms with the fact that's his way of competing because he can really lace it out there. Um, you know, And if he gets in position with the big guys, and I mean the physically big guys out off the tee, he can compete and win. If he doesn't, who cares? I'll get him next week. Yep. And it's a good way to play your career, I reckon. Yeah. If you don't worry about it, if you're not worried about missing cuts, yeah. you know it's going to be. If it's not my week this week, it might be next week. It's not not next week. It'll be the week after. Well, he's set. Know? He's set financially. He's already halfway to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So yeah. you know what's he got to worry about? Well, that's right. Yeah. But the other thing about last week, which will bleed into some of the other stuff, was Dustin Johnson hit a, Dustin Johnson hit a six iron to the controversial twelfth hole last week. Which doesn't sound that amazing, except that that was the longest club he's hit it to a par four this year. Is that right? Tommy Diaz wrote a tremendous article in Golf Digest this this week. The longest six iron, the longest, the longest iron. Dustin Johnson's hit to a par four this year. It was a six iron on the twelfth. Oh, that's amazing! That's, that's amazing! Absolutely staggering. And the long—I don't know whether you saw it. I know you'd be all over this, Clates, because this had meant a lot to you. The um, long the World Long Drive Championship that's going on at the moment. Yeah. So your bloke hit a fade the other day, 473 yards. Yeah. He hit a fade, <laughs> 473 yards. A fade. Yeah, those guys are incredible. What's amazing is that girl. Have you seen that girl that does it? Yeah. I should know her name, but I don't with the, with the really cool hair. But why isn't she on the tour? <laughs> well, those, those guys have got lousy golf things that you can see why they can't play oh, golf. Just, but, yeah. but she looks like, she. why isn't she the best player in the world? <laughs> like she flies it. 300 and something. Yeah. Maybe she wears racy clothing. Uh, Hayden Porteous wins on the uh, European Tour. Um, he's, he's going all right. This is one of these little comers that you see in but Europe he, every now but and then. Did, did he miss 16 cuts? He, in, he missed a load of cuts. He missed cuts all over the place. But his form coming in has been pretty good. Uh, Peter Yuleheit, he wins the web. The, was that the first of the web tournament? The first. There's yeah. three to come. We had four guys out of our eight make the cut. On the web finals, mm-hmm. uh, so Appleby, Gibson, Jones, and Arnold missed it. Scott Hen finished forty first and is now uh, inside the top thirty five in the rankings. But more importantly, Cam Percy, Brett Druitt are about twenty second, and Curtis Luck is fourteenth. And it's very early oh, days there. But I think the the thing here is if you finish, I heard it explained better to me yesterday. Finish top five alone, you're in. You're in. You, mm-hmm. you can't miss out if you finish top five alone. You can get in if you. F- on one effort, if you finish top five 
tied second, tied in fifth. Yep. But you yep. need a few things. So to that happen. sort of money is going to get you inside. Yeah. Yep. So if you if we're watching it for the next three weeks, we're barracking for one of those guys to get in the top five. That's our first and foremost thing. Then other than that, we need some consistency from those guys there in that level. We won't be watching it this week though, will we? Because no. there's no there's no <laughs> men's the LPGA's turning it up in Indianapolis, but there's no men's golf in America this week on either PGA Tour or the Web Tour. And I don't know whether there's an official reason for this, but I can only put it down to one thing. Football, is it? Yeah, I think yeah. it must be. College football started, and now the NFL starts this week. College football? I don't get college football. Oh, it's massive. What is, I know it's massive. No, it's great. Is it, is it good? Oh, it's great. Is it okay? Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but okay. No money in the college game, Andy? No money no at money, all. No, 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 no they're no, completely... Playing in yeah. zillion-dollar stadiums. Now, ask yeah. us anything about to... Uh, oh. We're about to embark upon that. But just a little reminder, um, we want you to subscribe, folks. If you've been listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, we want you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. For Android users, download the podcast app through Google Play. Uh, get the show delivered to your device every single Thursday. You can also find Inside the Ropes on Spotify and Stitcher. Now, Hazy, I know you're going to tell me about Golf Month, but so Simon Overland, the former um, Victorian <laughs> Police Commissioner, left a magnificent five-star review for us this week when he subscribed, and we want other people to do that. And our thoughts to Simon Ovenden, we really appreciate it. Oh, it wasn't Simon Ovenden. We really appreciate you, Simon Ovenden. We don't, uh, you know... Mistake you for anyone else. Did he give Clates a little clip on the way through? He might have. I'll just read it out to you, perhaps. So I put it to you, Andy, Hazy, and friends. This is just great listening. A balanced and insightful examination into the world of golf at all levels. No bifurcation needed. Oh, I don't agree with that, Simon. (laughs) To get the thoughts, opinions, and here we go, the views of Appleby, Pricey, and even Clates. Even Clates. (laughs) Is illuminating and informative. I like that. Put simply, I love this. I don't like the balanced word in there. No one ever accused me of being balanced. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Simon. We really appreciate no, that. Good of you. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program Hi, this is Aaron Price, and October is Golf Month. Golf Month is the perfect time to share with your family and friends, so get out there this October and have a go. Well, Golf Month's only a few weeks away. Um, It's in October. We've got uh, a a few handful of things going on this week. We launched our first video as part of the promotional series. I urge everyone to go onto golfmonth.com.au or via the Golf Australia website directly. Check it out. Share it with your mates. It's really good. Some quality stuff coming up. That's the first one of three or four, I believe. I'm not 100% sure there, but they're really good, worth watching, um, even if you're not interested in Golf Month, which of course you would be, Andy. Oh, no doubt about that. Everybody Um, in Australian golf should be interested in it. They absolutely should. Um, The big one, of course, is the prize in one of four ultimate golf bug adventures to Barn Bugle. Cape Wickham and Ocean Dunes, thanks to Air Adventure Golf Tours. That I, I looked at the details of that the other day. That is magnificent. What a trip that is. Once in a lifetime. We're not getting any love from the key print, the principals down there who need to be listening to our pleas. Biz Sattler, she's going to come what on soon. What is she doing? Where, where's Busy? Yeah, get her on. Yeah, she, we should get Richard on. Richard's the most, one of the most significant people in Australian golf ever. I yeah. Think. yeah. We might Building be- two top 50 in the world public courses that everyone can play. When it was a massive financial risk, that'd be a good story to tell. He, he, he knew nothing about golf, and he 
done an incredible thing for and and Duncan Andrews at Kate Wickham too. He can be your yeah. homework next time you come on. If Richard you Teller? Get Richard, yeah. I'll get Richard on. Wasn't without its no. you know, personal no. controversy, controversies on no, the way through. Yeah. But, you know, I, mean, I know that having one of the people who kind of talked him into it, not the main one, Mike Kaiser was the main one who did Bannon Dunes, but, you know, it was a, he, we could have been the greatest con man in the world for all he knew. <laughs> yes. You know, he put, stumped oh, up a lot of money and I took a you. massive risk. Oh, and, I wouldn't trust you as far as I can yeah. kick So in terms of... People who've done things for Australian golf, Richard Sattler's way up there, no doubt. And just uh, just one more thing on yeah. that, Andy. Just if you want to enter that competition for that once in a lifetime experience, all you got to do is tell us in 150 words or oh, less yes. who you're going to share the golf bug with this October, and how you're going to do it, and do it at golfmonth.com.au. And I still urge people to get your local club and facility involved. Uh, make sure that everyone you know around you gets the taste of golf in October. There you go. Uh, now, people have been waiting for this, the second instalment of Ask Us Anything. I think we're going to have to do this more regularly, Hazy, because uh, it is catching on. Um, so we've asked you to ask, well, when I say ask, it's really not you or me. It's ask Mike Clayton questions about the game we love the most. I believe we're going live on Facebook, are we? Is that what we're doing? In two seconds, in one second, I believe we are now live on Facebook. Is that right, Gio? We are. Hello, everybody who's watching Inside the Ropes. Lovely to have you with us. If I get one clip from anyone about fashion today, Andy, it's oh, game no. on. I have got seriously. My, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here over you. I've got my New England Patriots. I played with Brad Clifton the other day too. <laughs> Another slap at you. Did he really? Yeah, He's unbelievable. He can hit it. Can he? I don't know where it's going, but he can hit it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a lot of people who want to ask questions, Clates, uh, to you, um, you know, principally again. And Hazy and I'll just fire them to you at will. So, Hazy, do you want to go first? You can have your pick of the crop. Whichever one you oh, want to go let's first. Let's start at the top. Gene Moore, I, I hope that's pronounced correctly, oh, Gene. Yeah, I yeah. apologise, but if it's, we'll go with Gene Moore from Melbourne. Clates, for anyone interested in learning and understanding great course architecture, what are the best few books you should read? The best few, well, there are, there's a lot, I've got a list here. The, the best old book is probably The Spirit of St. Andrews by Alistair McKenzie, which was, he wrote Golf Architecture in 1920 and then wrote that in 1932 and it got, the, the, the manuscript was lost. It was, uh, they found it in 1995 and printed it. So, so it goes on from what he wrote in 1920. So The Spirit of St. Andrews, Doug's new book, The Anatomy of, not new book, but modern book, The, the Anatomy of a Golf Course. Jeff Shackelford wrote the same sort of book, Grounds for Golf. Um, old book, Robert Hunter, The Lynx. Great old book, 1925 or six. who was McKenzie's partner in America. Has it changed much, Clates? The, no, what, they all say the same things. They're all, they're all saying the same things. Yep, yep. Um, Tom Doak's just put a new book out. It's, it's a take on um, Chairman Mao's Little Red Book and Harvey Pennock's Little Red Book, Tom Doak's Little Red Book. Is it? Which is a collection of just kind of paragraph long or page long thoughts on golf course design that they've collected over the years. The last line in the book is a great Doug's one. Little Red Book, did you say? Little Red Book. It's yep. everything you need to know about golf course design is in Scotland, hmm. which is kind of true. So uh, a guy called Brad Klein's written some good books. Rough Meditations is really good. Anything by Jeff Shuckleford's good. So th- there's a bunch of stuff out there that's really... You might need to put a new rack in your library shelf because <laughs> there's about 15 books and potentially a whole lot more that you but, but if you were going to read two, you would read The Spirit of St. Andrews and The Anatomy of a Golf Course. Right. Darren Blinkensop, who is a regular, I think he's the, the uh, maybe the only two-time uh, correspondent uh, and contributor to Ask Us Any. I remember uh, Darren had one the first time round. Um, 
to you, Clay. So I've heard Bradley Hughes say the club should feel like it's travelling its quickest, about three feet past the ball. Can you explain or discuss this, please? No. Why not? Because I don't know whether it's... Well, Hughes has got some good ideas about the swing. His, his Twitter and Instagram stuff is really good, and he's got videotapes of every great player. Yeah, yeah. Really good. But um, you would need him to explain it. So we should get him on and have him explain it. So, so did you have any... When you were you know, at your peak... Did you have any kind of principles about, um, you know, the acceleration into the ball, finishing the stroke? Did you have anything that you, as part of your kind of swing thought, you focused on in terms of not club, really, where the club should be going at its hardest? No, but I, no, but I think a good thought was to let the ball get in the way of the club, which was something Ken Venturi spoke about. In fact, Hughesy put it up on his Instagram thing last week. I think was let the ball get in the road of the club. They talk, would, that yeah. that made to, sense to me. Could it be to do just with acceleration? Uh, letting the ball get in the road of the club? No, or, no, no. Or, or, the, or the club feeling like it's going as fast as three feet after the ball? That one. Um, I don't know. Okay. You would need to talk to someone who knew about the, the, Darren, the technicalities I, of the swing better than I do, so we should get his on because he's, he's, he's interesting. In All right, Darren, that's our, our homework. Yeah, I'll we'll get, do I'll that. get yeah, Brad Hughes yeah. on in the In fact, trivia weeks. question. One thing I found out this week, George Nudson's swing was up there. George Nudson's son, Dean Nudson, works in Canberra in the Department of the Environment. He's about third in charge of – he's about two steps below Josh Frydenberg, who I wonder if he even knows how famous Dean Nudson, who works in the Department of the Environment in Canberra. Well, we need to have a word to Josh Frydenberg his, about a his few things father was, at the moment. who was a runner-up in the U.S. Masters, eight-time winner on the U.S. Tour. Well, there you go. So his son lives in Canberra, works in the bureaucracy in right. Canberra. There you go. Jeremy Hair Loss Clinic too. Oh, we just need to get his – Views on a few straightened out social matters broaden a little bit. Yeah. Josh Frydenberg, yeah. just True. for the good of Australia. But anyway, well, that's a different. That's got nothing to do with golf. No, no. Different podcast, exactly, yeah. exactly. Over to you. I think you should ask me the next one. Should I write? I well, I should. It's from Graham Voss. Uh, no relation um, to the famous Vosses. I don't think. Uh, Mark, when will the Australian Open return to a rotational basis and allow the other major cities the chance to stage the event? Well. It's a really good question, Graham, and I think from the uh, theoretical perspective, that's definitely the way Golf Australia would would love that to, to roll. Um, 2016 was the first of eight-year contract in Sydney. In that time, there's t- uh, clauses for two out years for it to go to other other states. Um, look, primarily, that's a, a commercial decision based on the, the names, naming rights sponsor, which Emirates has been absolutely magnificent in the last few years, and I think they've deserved their right to be able to you know have a say in it um you know there's no doubt there's a there's a groundswell i'm sure clates on my left here would agree that it should be at different clubs um and you know not be too far out of the sand belt too often um but definitely should rotate around australia there's no doubt about that and i, I agree graham but there's sort of commercial imperatives that um, have come first in this instance and that and it's important for the tournament's future so we uh, sympathize and hear what you're saying the sand belt region of victoria I know I'm speaking to preaching yep. converted here, but if you're going to, as we do with the tennis, as we spoke about mm. before, we have Melbourne plastered all over the back of the tennis court to let people know that's where it is. If we're going to bring golf to Australia and have meaningful tournaments anywhere, surely they get played on the sandbelt in Victoria more often than not, don't they? Isn't, isn't that what we want to yeah. be sending well, out to the world? Isn't that Well, the President's Cup's in yep. two years. Great to, event. To wait a long time for I for think, a, yeah. you know, I think that, There'll be something coming here that I think will be really good. You know, it's one of those 
hold, hold fire and wait till they announce it. But I mean, the Vic Open's a great event. That, great event. You know, that's a tremendous event. But I think you know Melbourne ought to have a pretty big tournament every year. Mm. I think everyone would kind of agree with that. But yeah, I agree, Graham. Though we we do want that to happen. As, as if I can speak for Golf Australia, it's not something that well, let's take it to Sydney and bury it there forever. That's not what we want to do. It's been a great host there. Some ripping clubs um, around. They haven't got the you know the prestige, the international prestige uh, of the sandbelt courses. But they, you know the Australian. There's no there's no uh, nothing wrong with the Australian no. plates. And the lakes next year. I mean, you know, the economics, when I was a kid, it went around the country. I remember it, you know, the Qantas Australian Open at Kingston Heath and Gary Player played, but that was when they played for $25,000 and Gary Player was here because he had a contract with Slazengers. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how much appearance money he got. He got 3000 for winning, but I'm not sure what his appearance money was, but I'm sure it wasn't relative to, I'm guessing, the million dollars Jordan Spieth's getting this year. Uh, yeah. Uh, you? Uh, I want to ask Clates now, Mike, what's not attracting the big-name U.S. tour players from coming to Australia in November and December? I know Jordan Spieth is further to David Forsett's question here from Sydney. I know Jordan Spieth enjoys his time here, so why doesn't Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, Zach Johnson, etc. come? Surely it can't be low-appearance money. Wouldn't cross the road to see Zach Johnson. Well, it's, it's how much they cost. I mean, they would all come if you paid them all. Mm. But we know how much they cost, roughly. How much would it cost to get Zach Johnson away from his... Thanksgiving turkey. Yeah. Well, I mean, with all greatest respect to Zach Johnson, you wouldn't pay Jack Johnson that much money to have him no. play the Australian Open. But Dustin no. Johnson and Brooks Kepka and but those guys mm. play a long year. And to them, Americans, Australians, indistinguishable from Ecuador or Venezuela, probably just a long way away. And why would I bother going down? What, what's winning the Australian Open going to do for my career? That's the truth, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's what it means. So yeah. why would I go down there when yeah. I can sit at home and? Yeah, luxury at on my boat in Florida or my pool or my and Jordan Spieth's not out there. We thought, I mean, we love having Spieth down here. He clearly likes coming down here, and the money's good. But he 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 wouldn't be doing it. For, he's not doing it for the money because he's got bucket loads of the stuff. He clearly mm. enjoys coming down here and playing the courses and the tournaments. But Jordan Spieth's not going back to America saying to um, you know Justin Thomas, "Hey mate, you've got to come down to Australia with the next year. You, whatever you do, you've got to come down." Mm. He's not doing that, is he? I mean. And You'd it, like to think he is, but if he is doing it, he's not doing a very good job. I think Jeff Ogilvy actually said a few weeks ago that you know he is actually a really good locker room ambassador for it. Well, well I, I don't think he's had much success yeah, in bringing yeah. down the big names, but I, I, I just purely think it's a money thing, and, yeah, and yeah. I, I think the you know the season we talked about the NFL earlier uh, running roughshod over this week's uh, schedule. Well. There's a simple solution to this, and it's actually shorten the season in the states. And then, you, if they finish in August, as we hope maybe they will one day soon, then you've got five or six months until they go back there. And I can't see that happening. That's not happening. No. So, you know, if they do that, then they need to go and play somewhere, and that might be a solution because I can't see us ever having you know the capacity to shell out uh, you know five hundred thousand for this player and eight hundred thousand for that player. It's just not going to happen, and that's what it's going to need to get them down here. And I know not many people will probably see it this way, but. The reality is the best field of the year in Australian golf is the Australian Women's Open oh, yeah. in terms of world-class players. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. If, if you want to watch world-class players, go and watch the Open in Adelaide. I mean, Spot it's a on. great field in Adelaide. Uh, Steve Tibb, wanted, you wanted to know about the President's Cup. Captain's picks were therein. We've already spoken about those. Uh, Matt Levy, can the PGA put a total ban on green maps? They need to because it's going to slow up play and it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just watching guys read putts out of their book is just madness. Only players allowed on greens should be the players. 
Uh, caddies, you need caddies on the guy, hold no. the pin and clean the ball. But Other than that, yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah. no, green maps need to go. Absolutely need to go. And I think they will get rid of them because they're just... Can you believe that guy's standing over a three-foot putt researching it on a book with yeah. arrows? No, it's, just, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a does joke. Speed use them? Yep. He does. Well, well, I saw him looking at his book on the seventh green last week. Absolutely. So I assume he does. But I mean, there are, I mean, they can tell... The guys who pay 500 bucks for a book, I think, can tell every single... You know, they they get the pin placement. They can tell every putt how much percentage of you know where to aim it, where all the straight putts are. And, I mean, there's got to be some skill in reading a green. Oh yeah, yeah. So that that needs to be smashed on the head. Are they hard to use? I've never even. Are right. they diffi- straight? Depends if you can read a contour map or not. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out hard you studied at school. I suppose. Not very. You would have been a good orienteer, Andy. <laughs> oh yeah, right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a really good question here, Clates. I reckon from Pack on Twitter. Oh uh, yep. What's the most fun length golf hole? I reckon you can find a fun hole every yard from 100 yards to 600 yards. But the most fun length, I think everyone loves short par threes. I, mean, I think the seventh at Bamboogle is a pretty cool par three at 112 metres. Um, 340 metre par fours. Yeah. Well, I think 300 yards is... I mean, I, I look at the holes I love to play. 10 at Royal Melbourne, 15 at Victoria, 4 at Barnboogle. Great fun. What do I do? 3rd at Kingston Heath. What do I do here? Yeah. They're lots of... The, 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 holes, the, the most interesting lengths are the holes that ask the most interesting questions. So it's the kind of almost drivable short par 4 with great strategy. The 7 South Peninsula. Yeah, good little hole. Great hole. Yeah, great hole. Great, great hole. You see the big players, they stand on... When there's... You know what it's like. Give them options. Mm. Don't tell them where to hit it yep. off the tee, you yep. know? Figure it's it out. Great, you yeah. know, I, I think 13 Augusta is, might be the best hole in the world, one of them. You know, with yeah. great drive. You've got a great drive into the right place, and then do you go across the creek? Where do you lay it up? So so that hole asks... That does, hole, that, does that hole need to be lengthened? No. Well, yeah, it does, because it doesn't yep. play the way it was meant to play. Yep. No, the ball needs to be shortened. Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> um, so, Thank God. Hallelujah. I thought we were heading towards yeah. an entire podcast yeah, with that. Because we've already got bifurcation in. Those playing the drinking game. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> the road hole at St Andrews and then the, and the, and the, seven, and the 13th hole at Augusta, which are both pretty similar lengths. So, you know, they're arguably two of the best holes in the world. Well, arguably the two best holes in the world. Yeah. Uh, Duncan Booth in Brisbane. Clubs and membership styles haven't changed in decades. I'm 30, young family, good income, love golf. But membership in traditional format makes no sense to me, let alone my kids. Time is precious to most. Six hours a Saturday doesn't work. Thoughts, solution, either of you? Uh, I know there's a lot of work going into this behind the scenes. Uh, and, and clubs can be their own worst enemies here, um, but they also have the chance to take the whole game, the sport, into a new future. Yep. So, I mean, if, if you, clubs are willing to break the mould and, you know, risk ruffling a few feathers of the traditionalists within them, then I think the, the, the world's your oyster here. There's so many um, expansive membership opportunities happening now that weren't available seven or eight, nine years ago. And I, I think it's incumbent on you to go and ask your club, to be honest. I, if you've got a club in mind, and I'm not talking about the real old fuddy-duddy ones, I'm talking about the you know the ones that might be struggling a little bit, Clates. You know, just go and give them a nudge and say, I would love to join if I could dot, dot, dot. Tricky. Um, Melbourne's lucky that it's got the Dunes and Sandra's Beach and great public courses. We're really world-class public courses like that, not that far away. Brisbane's, I suspect, is not so lucky. Um, Royal Queensland get the land back on the other side of the bridge. Well, they've got it back now. 
they rebuilt the course on the because they lost the holes under the bridge. And there's a proposal we've done to put in a, a reversible nine-hole course. And the de- whether they do it or not, it's a different question. Hopefully, they do. The deba- one of the debates is: Do you make it public? Do you make it? Do you make it public? Do you make it accessible to the public, or do you just keep it as a part of Royal Queensland? But that would be a great venue for mm. public players. Oh, yeah. Um, all these questions are coming off Twitter, by the way, but as um, we are live on Facebook, we're getting some questions coming through from our live Facebook audience. Um, Brad Clifton, again, welcome. Uh, Mark Hayes, do you realise your outfit matches your head? That's coming from Brad Clifton. Um, <laughs> Hi, Brad. Hi, Brad. <laughs> A lot of people Hi, Brad. send questions through about your um, personal grooming here, Hazy. Uh, I'm trying. Okay. I, Julie Hooker. I'm going to the PGA for the second time. Really excited to see Adam and Sergio. Do you think Jason might play as well, seeing he's here for the Open? Any heads up on yeah. what Dave's plans are when he's down here? Yeah, no. I, no. I think you can stick a fork in that one. I'm sorry. Wayne Miller, are we ever likely to see Greg Norman play in Australia again? Isn't no. it? F- no, he won't, will he? No. no. With his clothes on. Sadly, both. What day, day not playing in Queensland and Greg not playing. I mean, one of the great things when I was starting out was Kel Nagel still playing. Kel was 60 and could still really play. Mm. And what, watching him play and playing with him was great fun. I saw a video of Shark hitting the other day. He still flushes it. Yeah, he, oh, just doesn't like, he just doesn't like golf. Like no. Kel, Kel loved golf. I don't think Greg likes it anymore. So, no, we're not going to see Did him he seriously did he have a shirt on when he was? Uh, I, I think he had to rush and put one on just okay, for the right clinic. On, yeah. But, yeah, no. Um, Hazy, there's, uh, sorry, uh, Clyde says, an agronomy question for you from Matt Holding. Um, LKCC, that Lake Herring Up Country yep. Club, right? Yep. Um, is across the road from his house, has been renovating their greens. As part of this, they lay a silver mat over the greens and only take it off every few weeks. How does the grass grow under this mat? Also, how quickly is the new surface playable after a renovation? Well, I know they had a great strike with it. So I, I saw, in fact, Lindsay Stevens sent me a picture of it yesterday. So they've had a great strike. So laying the mat over it, believe it or not, helps it grow. For technical reasons, I should understand, but I don't. You don't, yep. But... What was the second part of the question? Uh, how quickly is it playable after it's uh, that process? 16 weeks normally. 16 weeks, yeah, right. Yeah. Yep, yep. What have been the best new greens that you've ever seen laid? Like come to hand? Is there, is there a, have you seen a club somewhere that you've worked on or you've seen then and they've, they've redone the greens? Because there's always a bit of that process mm. after new greens have been put down where you, they're not quite right, but where there's a club that's had an unbelievably good... Um, Strike? Yeah, with their new greens. Yeah, aside from Peninsula? Yeah, well, they're amazing. Yeah, they're incredible. Yeah, yeah they are. Yeah. The trick is to ensure that they're good in 10 years' time. Yeah, right. And they're, yeah, all, yeah. they're all good when they're new, sowing. Yeah, right. You know, it's, are they going to be any good? In, so I, I think the best greens week in, week out are the Moon, of course, at the National. They're always fantastic down there. Brilliant. In fact, that's, I would argue, the best conditioned mainland course in Australia all year because they've got the mix of the cooch and the fescue and the power on the fairways, which play beautifully all year. When's Doug well, starting at the National? When, when's that going to happen? Um, soon, I think. Yeah, okay, great. Right. Which yeah. would be good. Yeah. Hazy. What about the Brisbane Golf Club, Clates? When they, they changed grass a couple of years ago when it was part of their big, you know, new coming yeah. out party. Yeah. What? How do you think that when they changed the what's traditionally been a, a you know, tropical Queensland sort of a grass to something completely different? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Not sure. But at Royal Queensland, we used the old blue cooch fairways, which are really good. I mean, I think there's an overemphasis on condition, as in the perfection of the lies. Oh, absolutely. People think that a perfect fairway is a fairway with perfect, every lie is perfect, but 
There are plenty of perfect flowers in the in the world where the lies aren't perfect. But here, that we, we get obsessed with the carpet-like appearance of the best fairways in the country, well, the best conditioned fairways in the country, when I think Barnboogle's the, the best turf to hit off. They're not the best fairways in terms of if you want a carpet, yeah, if you yeah, want right, a carpet, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not a carpet, but it's the best turf to hit off. And that's much more important than perfect turf. That's the whole American Perfect, was, perfect yeah, fairways, yeah, yeah, if that yeah, makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, while, we're, while we're down in Tasmania, Andy, there was a question uh, that came to us via uh, Rodney Heron. Good player, for, Rodney Heron. For our top five courses in Tasmania, excluding Barn Bugle and Lost Farm, Clates. Um, I've done a bit of research on this. I spent a bit of time in Tassie. Okay. Well, I haven't played that much in Tasmania. I've played, I would say, Royal Hobart, Tasmania. The obvious ones, Kingston Beach, Wood Rising in Devonport, I think. Mm-hmm. And... Launceston? What's Launceston like? I think it's. I, I played, we played the Ian Roberts won the Tasmanian Open, beat Ian Baker Finch in 1985 <laughs> by a shot, which was a okay course. You could have worked that into a trivia question if you were fair. An okay yeah. course. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm going to th- throw a couple into the mix. Um, I think Tasmania, Tasmania's got some of the quirkiest little golf courses going around. Um, we Tasmania's probably the one that's aside from yep. the two we already had. That's probably the standout one to me. But there's a couple of courses there. I'm sure you'll know about it, Ratho Farm. Never been there. That's the oldest golf course in Australia, Andy. Really? Did you know that? I did not know that. Near Little Bothwell, like almost central Tasmania. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. It's got some uh, fences around the greens to keep the the sheep off. Um, Just brilliant little lynx course. Fantastic. What's it called? Uh, Ratho yeah. Farm. Ratho yeah. Farm. I, I strongly encourage any golf fans around the country to get down there. And in what? this, in the same sort of neck of the woods, a little bit further north, so on the road, I think probably from Launceston out towards Deloraine, is a place called Quamby Estate. Uh, mm. Again, just a little nine-hole course, very picturesque, different layout entirely, but also a really good one. And an absolute cracking course called Tasman Golf Club, right down near Port Arthur, south of Port Arthur. Would you believe? Okay, right, on. perfect. I was in Evandale the other day couple of weeks ago staying with some friends and we drove past the Evandale golf course we looked kind of inventive I mean the great thing about golf in Australia it's inventive they're playing the Victorian Sand Greens Championship this week at Wedderburn what? which is shows Australian golf on sand shows how inventive golfers can be if they want to play golf they can play it anywhere we better get a wriggle on here uh, Jared uh, off Twitter if the players was ever officially a major how does it reflect on Norman's stature finishing on three majors equal with Elk from Jared. It's not it's not gonna happen though, is it? No, it's not happening. It's but happen, so. an, um underrated player, Elkington. Well is he is he underrated, Steve Elkington? Probably. You know, shouldn't he probably, be underrated. He probably is, yeah. Probably is. Like he's yeah. Better than Pat Cash by a long way. <laughs> Pat Cash was good, but Elkington was better. <laughs> there you go. I've got Tennis Australia on the phone here, Clades. If they're, not, <laughs> they're not happy with you today, mate. It's all right. <laughs> Hazy. Uh, on one from Matthew Oakley, um, Clates Commonwealth Golf Club wants to be a top ten course in twenty by twenty twenty one. On yep. a day when the world rankings have yep. come yep. out yep. here, uh, is it possible? Why? Why not? And how would they get there? Tricky question, given they're where they're architects. But <laughs> it's <laughs> well. The problem is, I'm going to say something that's going to upset somebody, so I just won't say it. Don't but, say it. Yeah. Um, you look at I've written down the top ten courses in my opinion in Australia. Royal Melbourne, Kingston, not in in no particular order. Okay. Except the best ones at the top: Royal Melbourne, <laughs> Kingston Heath, Barnboogle, Lost Farm, Cape Wickham, Elliston, Royal Melbourne, 
East Course, uh, New South Wales probably, Royal Adelaide, and you've got Alice, um, you've got, then you've got the the chunk of Metro Lake Karen up the lakes, Thirteenth Beach, Norman's Norman's Course of the Nationals in the top ten. So you've, if you're a Commonwealth, if you're on the committee, you need to look at those courses and study why there's a consensus that sees those courses ranked above Commonwealth and why they're ranked above them. And I've got my opinions on why I think they're ranked above them. But, you know, I'll make one point. The first hole is not one of the better short part fours in Australia. And if they wanted to be in the top ten, that needs to be a hole that matches the quality of the best short part fours. Well, they had it. They had. Well, they, they did. Had they the did. Gr- Do you ever play the original yeah. opening hole? They did. It was a, it was a beautiful hole, and if you want to be in the top ten in the country, you need to make more of the first and the tenth holes to, 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 as a start. Okay, but, that's really but, interesting. But yeah. there are some great holes at Commonwealth. I mean, Commonwealth's got the you know you look at sixteen's the best water hole in the world, arguably. It's a great hole. Seven, the two of the great par threes, fifteen and nine. Eight, eight's a tremendous hole. Now, there's lots of great stuff at Commonwealth, but there's some stuff that was older in the eighties that detracted from what was, in my opinion, and I wrote it in the paper, that arguably that there was nothing to distinguish when I was a kid, Kingston Heath from Commonwealth. And one of those causes is now indisputably in the top, well, it just got ranked 20 in the world, mm. Kingston Heath, mm. and indisputably in the top four in the country, and one of them's not. And the answer to the question is, partly is what happened. Why was there such a divergence from... 1983 to 2017. You, you clearly know the answer. Well, I've got my opinions, got but opinions, yeah, okay. I'll upset people if I expand any more on that. Isn't it amazing how much Clate said there without actually well, saying wanting something. to say anything, exactly. Um, and to that point about golf course ranking, uh, uh, John Huggin has sent through a tweet. Oh, Huggy sent a tweet. Oh, yeah. good. Uh, few things in golf are more annoying yet addictive than course ranking lists. Have yet to see one that did not see me shaking my head. Do you find them... I'll start with you first, Clates. Do you find them more annoying or addictive? Both. I, they're annoying in the sense that you see, well, I, in, in my opinion, I see clear mistakes. Of like, how the hell does anyone think that course is better than that course? <laughs> and I know Huggy sort of banged on that tweet, I think, attached Pebble Beach above Muirfield, <laughs> which is a pretty fair point he's making there. And Royal Melbourne, I think, was rated 11 in the world, which is still pretty staggering achievement but no one will convince me that Augusta National is a better golf course than Royal Melbourne in fact Tom Doak had the best quote about the two when he said Royal Melbourne is the course Augusta wants to be mm. but and being 11 in the world is it's a pretty awesome it, is there one is there one uh, tome that when they do do it because they all have a crack at it everyone has a crack at yeah. the rankings is there one that routinely gets it better or closer than any other. Well, the yes. one that came out today, the Golf Magazine list is generally accepted as being the most accurate. But I, and I'm on that panel. But I look at, I look at that list today and think, well, it's kind of there are some things in there that I shake my head at. But there are fewer things in there that I shake my head at than there are in other lists. Peter Thompson, as usual, had the best quote about the list. He said, "Never seen one I agreed with." Yeah, there you go. You know, so that's the inevitability of lists and long panels and the fact that people don't see all the courses. But so, forget yeah. the qualities that make up the courses that are on those lists, Andy. People's perception of what makes a good course That's is exactly right. know, yeah. necessarily different. Like 
what I see is an awesome, fun course like Ratho Farm. That's never going to get on a list, yeah. you know, as long as um, you know Tassie's closer to yeah, Antarctica than we are here. But mm. it, it's never. You can't get a definitive answer that's, that's going to please everyone. On. So spot it's on. very hard work. Yeah. I, my thing with lists is I try and play as many of the courses as you humanly can because I, I just think if there are 75 in Australia, it must have something good going for it. Yeah. My problem with them is that people often rate the experience of playing a golf course versus the architecture. So Pebble Beach, as awesome as playing Muirfield with hugging at 6.30 on a summer's night is, the experience of playing Pebble Beach at the same time is probably even more. Awesome. Just because of where you are. But if you're measuring the architecture, then Muirfield's a better golf course than Pebble. I think it's a better golf course than Pebble Beach. Nothing to do with playing with Huggy. Well, Huggy's in the sickening knee-high fizzes. (laughs) (laughs) No. But, you know, I mean, lists are what they are. And they they sell magazines and they're – the the problem is people attach too much importance to them. Last one. And this is a good question. And a lot of people will take something from your answer. I reckon Alex Houston, before we wrap this up and say goodbye – are premium golf balls worth it for mid to high handicappers? Probably not. I've never, I mean, I haven't played with anything other than a Titleist for, although I bought two dozen TaylorMades the other day from the MGA, from Benji. I bought, yeah, he gave me 45 bucks a no. dozen. It was very kind of, just to try them out. So I've never played with anything since I was 16 with anything other than a first grade ball. So I don't really know, but, but I suspect that the average golf ball that, Cost half what a Pro V one costs is probably pretty good for the average player. And you and I wouldn't, we, we if we're going to play a proper game of golf, Hazy, you know, we're going to you know, play a, a good course and we're going to try. We want to play a tour ball, don't we? We we, we do. Whether are you a bit of a golf ball snob? No, nah, not really. Oh, okay, I, mean, right I, 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 I mean, I think most people will gravitate towards a Pro V one or, or yeah. whatever it is, but uh, the manufacturer of their choice, but. I'm personally not a not a snob, but I, I've in researching this bifurcation thing that we keep rubbishing on about. Or I do, I think what I've learned is you know to get the full benefits of the premium ball, you have to have a swing speed yeah. Yeah, over right. 105, yeah, 110 yeah. miles an hour, and that's no one that uh, Jason's talking about there. So what we're going to do when we go and play at Peninsula because we keep threatening to go and play yeah, there, we never do. do. So yeah, you remember yeah. that? Yep, yep. I'm going to go and get a bunch of. Three dollar golf, three dollar golf balls, and play them and see what they're yeah, like. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that I'm sure I probably can't tell the difference. No, um, that's great. Uh, we'll do this again. I think it's a really good thing, and I enjoy it. Um, we've gone way over time again. Your yeah, boss. Your one boss, last question you know, here from okay, right John. John in South Melbourne is: <laughs> Is there any danger we'll get this done in under an hour, Andy? No, no chance. chance. No Sorry, chance. mate. Uh, I listened. I listened to Sam Harris do a podcast yesterday with a climate change bloke. Went for two hours. It was the best listening. Of course. It was just two hours. I couldn't wait to get back in the car and have another half hour. There you go. That's so two hours is no way. It wasn't enough, and it was two hours of brilliant argument as to why we better take it seriously. What was the name of the podcast? Uh, Sam Harris's podcast. Okay, I'll, I'll find it. Yeah, I'll find brilliant. it. Okay. Brilliant. Great. Brilliant. Awesome. Just amazing. Um, Goodbye to everyone on Facebook yeah, Live. See you. Go. I think I don't think your wardrobe matches your head at all, Hazy. I think you look good, Hazy. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> and Brad Tipton has no idea where the ball's going. So, <laughs> although he almost carried. The lake at the seventh. The lake's off the back tee on. Whenever we played, did he golf died just a couple of weeks ago? At the seventh, the lake. He almost got it over from the back. Which wow, was, that's a solid strike. Yeah, that's a good hit. It was very impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Clates, is always fun. Thanks for coming. Thanks, on. Andy. Hazy, see you next week. Good on you, Murray. Friend, that's it for Inside the Ropes, episode sixteen. We'll see you when we do number seventeen. <laughs>